When we're talking about working towards greater quality, sometimes I feel that's kind of a trickle-down thing, you know, that that uh, we think, well, if we if a government person introduces more policies, that will help. But I'm not a government person, so I'll just wait and sit back and something will happen. And it's not going to happen of its own accord. Welcome to Brave Bold Brilliant. I'm here with Eliza Reid, who is the First Lady of Iceland. You are my first First Lady. Oh, that means I'm both your favourite and your least favourite First Lady on the show. Right? You're going to be my favourite First Lady of all time, yes. Eliza, so don't you worry. Thank you, thank you. So, I want to hear all about your background okay. and where life has taken you on this rich tapestry and journey you've been on. But what does a first lady do? Because it sounds like a very grand title. It's a strange title, isn't it? <laughs> and so effectively, it means that I'm married to the president of Iceland. And how strange is it to be defined in so many senses by what one's husband does, in my case, or one's spouse does? And uh, I'm very proud to be my husband's wife, but I wouldn't say it's my defining characteristic. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the term first lady is something that people are familiar with. And uh, it, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to have this role that is not really even an official role, mm. but it's a platform. And that means that I want to use it to be a force for good if I can. Fantastic. Well, we're here in World Travel Market, actually, in mm -hmm. London, which is, uh, you know, I think 30,000 people join every year from all over the world. So it's a great opportunity to kind of be mm -hmm. here. So, you know, I know you're passionate about tourism. You're passionate about Iceland, diversity, equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. You are a published author mm -hmm. as well. So you've had a lot going on. So you yes. are so much more than your husband's <laughs> wife, all respect to the president, of course. We love Indeed. our men. Indeed. However. <laughs> well, you know, it's so that's why it's so great to be here in London again afterwards, because it combines so many of my interests, as you say. I, you know, I have a background in travel writing and travel journalism. I love to travel. I love to see the world. Um, as you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up in Canada in a different country. I've lived in Iceland for 20 years, with the five years here in the UK before that. And, um, and, and, and I think that that gives me a, an outsider's perspective, an outsider's insider's perspective on Iceland mm. uh, that, that enables me to talk about this adopted homeland that I love so much. So when I'm here for events to talk about sustainability, to talk about diversity, equality, inclusion, and all these things that I think Iceland as a country, as a destination, is quite strong on, it's, it's really fun and exciting for me. Oh, fantastic. So, 20 years in Iceland, what was the catalyst for going? Did you go for love? I did go for love. And <laughs> I know it's a bit of a cliche. I, you know, I say, I'll tell you the story for love because it's a good story. But I also say that I moved to Iceland for love because I moved with my partner, but I stayed for me. Uh, meaning that I wanted to go with the attitude that I knew, of course, why I had gone there. But I... Um, I, I wanted to build my own raison d'etre in the country. You know, I didn't want to uh, to just have his friends or his workplace or all that connection. Mm. But we met actually here in the UK in graduate school, and I kind of contrived to win a date with him. Along to kind of, I sort of cheated in a in a blind date uh, raffle where they were drawing names out. These guys to take someone on a date, and I sort of stuffed the raffle with my name, so he'd have to pick me. Oh my! Word. It was a sort of carpe diem moment. You know, I I had no idea of the repercussions that it would. Have. Decades later. 
<laughs> he had no political uh, aspirations at that time, and then and then you never know what will happen. Yeah, yeah. But. Well, so you fixed the blind. You fixed the date. It wasn't a blind date, but you fixed the date. Yeah, you yeah. rigged it. Yeah, and then yeah. we were here four years, and then I proposed to him as well before we left and got engaged because again I thought, well, you know, if he's kind of slow moving, then. I, I can use my own voice. Absolutely. So, talking about using your own voice, mm -hmm. you're passionate about gender diversity, but all, all diversity, equity and inclusion, mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. as well, um, as am I. So, I love mm -hmm. it when we can have powerful conversations mm -hmm. around women helping women yeah. and men helping women as well, right? Yeah, everybody helping each other and I think really talking about raising unrepresented voices, you know, and, and also in Iceland, I'm an immigrant, of course. I, I moved to the country. I've had to learn the Icelandic language, which means I speak it with an accent and, and I make embarrassing mistakes and, and all this and I think it's really important for me to show people that that doesn't mean I don't have something important to say. Mm. And there's been a lot of changes in Iceland. I was reading some of the some of the key facts and mm -hmm. you know the fact that now nearly 50% of MPs are, are women yes. now. Yep. So there's been some significant changes. So do you want to just talk through how those well what those changes have been over the 20 mm -hmm. years you've been there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then I, th I would like us to do a bit of a read across mm -hmm. to you know other countries and whether it's the UK whether mm -hmm. it's you know other mm -hmm. countries in Europe etc mm -hmm. some of those lessons that have mm -hmm. been learned so well in in your country mm -hmm. and you're talking Iceland. about specifically with gender equality or is the same I think, I think let's talk let's talk about gender first okay. and then we'll touch on the on the broader diversity equity and inclusion and as you yeah. say you have a strong voice right mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. think it's powerful so gender you mentioned you know you mentioned that we have almost 50 percent members of parliament that are women but I think the big statistic that we know is that Iceland according to the World Economic Forum has been ranked the best country in the world to be a woman, which means that we are closest to closing the gender gap, mm. which means that we have not closed it yet. And we're very quick to emphasize that just because we're the closest doesn't mean we're there yet. We still have a lot of inequalities that we need to be tackling. Mm. But that working towards that greater equality is a choice. That is not something that just happens on its own accord. Mm. And it happens both what I call this, this mixture of like a top-down approach. So government legislation, uh, paid parental leave for both parents, heavily subsidized childcare, uh, quotas for the boards of publicly traded companies. Those are sort of top-down approaches. But they're also um, grassroots approaches where people have really advocated for change, for example, um, uh, enshrining the rights of trans individuals in law to really make sure that underrepresented voices are being heard. And us recognizing as a society that we all have voices and we all have a role to contribute so that um, when we're talking about working towards greater equality, sometimes I feel that's kind of a trickle down thing, you know, that that uh, we think, well, if we if a government person introduces more policies, that will help. But I'm not a government person, so I'll just wait and sit back and something will happen. And it's not going to happen of its own accord. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen unless we are consistent with it and we continue to think about it, we continue to evaluate it. It's not about ticking a box to say, we've achieved 50% on this now, now we never need to think about it again. Mm. But I think in Iceland we've also realized that this is something that benefits everyone. Working towards greater gender equality, it's not a zero-sum game where you're taking something from one group at the expense of another. It's leveling the playing field for everyone. It's giving greater opportunities to people of, of all genders. And I think Hopefully that's something that that we are working towards in Iceland because it is just improving our society overall. Mm, and you know, I mean, I know on the gender pay gap topic, for example, mm -hmm. you've closed ninety percent of that gap. I think is yeah, you know, it, it, exactly. It depends on the. Um, we just had this uh, strike a couple of weeks ago when the women went on strike, and there the statistic was closer to twenty percent. But I think it just depends mm. on the you know the matrices that you're using. Mm. But it shows you there's still a pay gap. Yeah, you know why is that in this in this day and age? Even when we say that we need to. 
that we do that. There's still gender-based violence, uh, um, intimate partner violence in Iceland. How can we have equality when we still have that violence? Mm. Uh, there's still disparities between women of foreign origin, uh, women with disabilities, queer women. It's so, you know, there's lots of things that we've got lots of homework, things to keep working on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's it. But I think when you were talking, the thing that struck me was mm -hmm. that don't wait for someone else to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily down to the boss or the yeah. the, the politicians or you know local government. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, I'm a big believer in be the change you want to see. Absolutely, no matter how small. Yeah, you know, and all those one exactly. percent add up. Exactly, and I think way. there's a couple of great points there that you make. That one, you know, am I going to change the world? Me, Eliza Reed? No, but can I maybe nudge things in the right direction? I hope so. Mm. And if I don't speak up and I feel like I'm in this incredibly privileged situation, you know, what about all the people who aren't able to speak up for, for other situations? And I think we also sometimes we feel like maybe we're alone in something or I, oh, this bugged me that this happened or I think this is unfair, but I'm, it's probably just me. I'm probably being oversensitive and I don't say anything. But then we, as soon as you do, you realize that a lot of other people feel the same way. And we're maybe just waiting for somebody else to make the first move. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I think the the other thing is with um, any form of diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. it takes time. Yeah. But if you never start, how are you ever going to get there? That's right. So let's not wait. Let's do what we can. Yeah. And you know, then you get momentum, don't you? You get actually, you know, a cadence behind it. Yes. And very often, you know, I think sometimes it just takes, you know, one big organization with a, you know, with a big brand behind them, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, everyone else goes, oh, oh, we need to follow yeah. as well. There's a tipping point. You yes. Know? But yeah. it has that happened in Iceland? Would yeah, you yeah say? for sure, for sure. Yeah. I would say we've passed that tipping point of debating: should we work towards greater equality? But how will we get there? Mm. And I think that's an important distinguish distinction. But also, you know, within it's like the same with companies. You can't just say, well, we've written a policy now. So we have a policy that things are going to be equal. And it's not really our fault if women aren't applying for the jobs or, or whatever it is. You can't, you, you can't just kind of tick a box or write a policy that goes in a filing cabinet somewhere and nobody follows up on it. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody maintains it. It's about building a long-term culture of diversity and inclusion that incorporates a lot of voices and that evolves and changes as we need it to evolve and change and gets feedback and, and, and hears those different voices. And it's really an ongoing process. Mm. And yes, it does take more effort. But the results, you know, in terms of in terms of the, the bottom line, number one, in yep. terms of company retention, in terms of morale and attitude is really, really important. And I think in this day and age for companies and organizations, like you said, they, they don't want to be the last ones on the boat. You know, they don't want to be the last ones at the party. They want to be the leaders there mm. and know that this is important. Mm. So Iceland as a country, then, mm -hmm. let's just sort of, because I think you're doing great things on diversity, mm. equity, inclusion, and really kind of for, for, for women in particular, yeah. really sort of trailblazing and showing what the potential is. Um, but at Iceland as a country... What's so unique and special about Iceland in general, mm -hmm. but also in terms of what you managed to create um, in the changes that you've seen happen over the last 20 years? Mm -hmm. Well, we are, a, you know, a small island nation and we don't have a huge population, mm. which has its advantages and disadvantages. I mean, disadvantages are you just have fewer minds putting into the problem. You've got less tax income that is coming in from people, et cetera, et cetera. But it also means you have to be adaptable. And, you know, we have this natural environment. We have 
volcanic eruptions and earthquakes that you have to be quick on your feet um, and easy to adapt to change. And we all wear a lot of hats. So that means in society that you don't maybe get pigeonholed professionally from a really early age. You can kind of move around a bit and, uh, and be more flexible, apply your skills to other issues. And working towards greater inclusion, ultra so you're really, as a collective society, you're getting the maximum out of everybody, right? So you're mm. you're getting high participation in the workforce so that the education that your government is paying for for people is getting paid back into what they're doing, into their creativity, into their innovation, into the taxes that they're paying into the society. And then conversely, with these you know open policies and, and excellent childcare and all of that, we have a relatively high birth rate. Um, we have dads who are really involved in, in children's upbringing from, you know, from an early age. And so it all kind of, you know, works together. So there's a great example of the increased policies for, um, gender equality in Iceland is that a lot of, most dads take paternity leave because if they don't take it in a heterosexual relationship, nobody gets it. So, um, they, you know, they take their paternity leave and therefore have stronger bonds with their kids from an early age. Mm, brilliant. Yeah. Cause it's not all about, you know, giving more to, to help women. It's actually should be, like you say, equal men. It's not about men being better mm-hmm. or worse or women mm-hmm. being better or worse. It's mm-hmm. just, if we're just different. Right. Right. And it's exactly. And, and, you know, and everybody should be, it's, I think it's about having the flexibility and the choice to do what you want to do more. So if one parent wants to spend more time at home or more time at work, that's great. Just give people a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we're working on a lot in Iceland still is, uh, in Icelandic, is it's translated called the third shift, but it's the mental load, which, you know, you know that we see a lot in heterosexual couples that maybe people say, well, we empty the dishwasher at an even pace. But it's because maybe the woman has said, don't forget to empty the dishwasher mm. or remember so-and-so's birthday or the football practices tomorrow. And maybe they'll do the, the football practice run, but they haven't remembered that it's a football practice. And, you know, that takes up a lot of space and in our brains yes. all of the planning and coordinating it. so we've got to work on that a little bit more I think, so. fantastic and you were told before we pressed record you gave yeah. me a really fantastic <laughs> tip about yes. how we put our effort into the important decisions and not so much in the less important decisions but yeah. arguably still impactful so yeah. <laughs> boy that's quite a teaser to this tip it I feel is. like you've, you've set the expectations I've built high I've built it up I've okay. built it up share with us your okay. tip and I'm going to tell you the people who are watching this rather than listening to us are at a bit of an advantage so I will yes. try to describe it but yes. um and it's uh, so the sort of vain beauty uh, habit that I have is getting my nails done regularly, acrylic nails. And when you go to the manicurist, there's 300 something colors and it takes forever to decide. And you think, who, does it matter which of these 50 shades of red I'm going to get? It doesn't matter. <laughs> and so what I do now, honestly, is I ask Siri on my phone to pick a number between one and 300. And I do that three times. And then I have to make a choice of between three colors and not 300 colors. And it always, because even if it's strange colors, and as you'll see people watching now, we'll see that this is like a purple <laughs> and there's kind of a shiny blue. It's a talking point. You know, sometimes I've had lime green nails and people say, hmm, interesting nails. And, um, and I tell them, well, it's because Siri chose. I think the only time that I just chose myself was when we were, you know, we went to King Charles's coronation or something. And then I thought maybe lime green nails is not appropriate. <laughs> you don't want to leave it too much up to chance. Oh, um, my word. So if you're going to a royal event on occasion, as one does sometimes, and believe me, you nod sarcastically, but I never would have thought that I would end up with these things, and I am, uh, then, then you may bend the Siri rule and choose a neutral color. Well, so we're bending the Siri rule for King Charles. Mm-hmm. So you've dropped in a little teaser there, Eliza. Okay. <laughs> when I went to King Charles's yes. coronation. With Named, I'll husband. pick up that name off Absolutely. the floor. Absolutely. 
Talk us through that. How, what, really? Yes, please. <laughs> talk us through that. What happens when the invite lands? Were you expected? Yeah. Was it just sort of okay? At the yeah, coronation, yeah, you yeah, mean? Yeah, the coronation. And then just the whole kind of, you know, pomp and circumstance yeah. around it. Was it like the most incredible privilege to be there? I mean, in a nutshell, it? yes. Yeah. Um, we were also at the Queen's funeral. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Canada. So she was my queen as well. Mm. So I, I think that was extra... It, it, it was particularly moving, I would say, a, attending the funeral because yeah. that happened, you know, with kind of a week's notice. Uh, it was, and, you know, nobody expected it, you know, knew when it would come. And uh, and it w was very, very moving to be there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even though we, we were sitting in alphabetical order, all the heads of state off the side, you couldn't see anything. You could hear this gorgeous music. And uh, and and that was, was special and moving. And then we returned for the, the coronation six months later and... In, in some, there was, it was a lot of similarities, but with color, mm. you know, because yeah. it was still pomp and circumstance. There was a lot of hurry up and wait and routines. And it was again in Westminster Abbey. Um, but it was, uh, it, it was incredibly special to be there and, and just to be able to represent Iceland at, at such a historic occasion. I mean, I'll never forget it. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, real privilege. And like you say, there's big emotional connection because, of course, Canada yeah. as well, you know. One of the realms. We, yes, yeah, exactly. We won't get into into too much around the politics. <laughs> we'll, sure. we'll, we'll put that to one side. But Iceland then, mm. tourism, right? We're yeah. here at Join World Travel Market, um, down at Excel, and we're lucky enough to be able to have a chat like this and, mm -hmm. and, um, and connect face-to-face, -face, yes. which is lovely. Um Tourism for, for Iceland, how yeah. important is it to the economy in terms of, you know, percentage? Because if we talk about tourism globally, yeah. you know, travel and tourism accounts for 10% of global GDP. We're a massive sector in yeah. terms of contributing economically, alleviating yeah. poverty, job creation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And doing a lot of good, yeah. but also there's a there's obviously a sustainability which we're going to talk about separately yeah. in a minute. But so tourism as a, as a, as a you know, a, a sector, yeah. shall we say, for yeah. Iceland, how important is it and how's it shifted? Yep. over time what are the, some of the things that are happening in that space it's it's our most important sector yep. um it used to be fisheries as you can imagine we're an island um and then that it i want to say it's around 2015 2016 when that shifted became tourism uh you may have heard of a volcanic eruption in 2020 called that was also me showing that i could say the word in <laughs> very good That's hashtag humble brag um and we had this volcanic eruption. I think that really showed people like, wait a minute, Iceland isn't as far away as I thought it was because the ash cloud is coming over here. And it, it, and that was really spun to say, why don't you visit this country? It's the world's safest country. It, you know, it's incredibly safe, outstanding nature, wonderful people, and not that far to get to. So, and, you know, English is widely spoken. So uh, tourism has really been on the up. And, and I think another reason for that is that... Uh, well over 90% of people to the country have a positive experience there as tourists. And generally speaking, there is a positive impression of tourism within the country, you know. Um, for me, as a resident of, of Reykjavik, the capital city, I have this incredible diversity of uh, cultural programs and concerts and restaurants to choose from that if we didn't have all that tourism... Uh, we wouldn't have that, not to mention the direct flight access, you know, the, the number of destinations that I can fly to directly is, is unbelievable for the country with the population of the size we do. So, so we enjoy tourism and we're very proud to showcase our country to visitors. Mm. So was it a strategic stroke political 
you know, direct decision mm -hmm. to say, okay, we need to really develop tourism because we've got an overdependence historically on fishing, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. Similar things happening now in Saudi, mm -hmm. by oh, the way, you know, where there's yeah. been an over-reliance on oil yep. and yep. they have consciously yep. said, you know, okay, we right. need to develop tourism. And yep. of course, there's a whole bunch of things that they're trying to address as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, so was it a very much a sort of an economically driven conscious decision or was it just sort of, more opportunistically, Ash Cloud happened, everyone got more aware of Iceland, yep. and we sort of thought, oh, right, okay, hang on, there is an opportunity here. Well, kind of a combination is more thing. Mm. I mean, the Saudi example, I would say, is an extreme example in other yes. cases, both in terms of the oil and the fact that it was Absolutely. very closed before. Yes. Um, we had had numbers that were gradually increasing. Mm. Um, people are traveling more, um, there was more destinations that had opened up. In 2008, we also had this big financial meltdown, which made the headlines. All of a sudden, Iceland became cheaper to visit. So that was a big factor as well. And I think it was these external moments, like the economic crash, like the uh, the volcanic eruption, that there was a conscious decision to use those moments to showcase Iceland more, because it was in the headlines, it was in the news, um, it, people realized how close it was, how much more affordable it was. And and so that there was a campaign um, around things to encourage people to come and to visit. Uh, again, after the COVID pandemic, um, you know, the country shut down. We had our, our, you know, it was very, very hard to travel to Iceland. But afterwards, we've had a, a great rebound in tourist numbers, again, because people are like, I would like to go somewhere where I can breathe and I'm not crammed on a tube or, mm. you know, whatever it is. And uh, and I think, so, you know, that's sort of a combination of things. Um, in conjunction with that, then, then has to be kind of long-term planning as well when it comes to sustainability, because a lot of our attractions are... are natural wonders mm. and those have to be protected and so there is more investment both in infrastructure around that but also encouraging people to travel to different parts of the country travel all year round so for example we used to be the most seasonal of the nordic countries meaning that you know a large big majority of people came in the summer months mm. now we're the least seasonal and and only i wish i could remember the exact i, I want to say it's only 20 percent of people uh, come in in the summer months, mm, mm. I, but I might be completely wrong about that statistic. So, <laughs> but it's a you know it, the the general point is that it's not a majority that are coming in yeah. the summer months. Now we've spread that out over the year because if you live in London, you fly for the weekend, eat in a Michelin starred restaurant, go to a swimming pool, see the Northern Lights. I mean, of course yeah. you're going to come for a weekend yes. in November or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you all soon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so it's got a lot to offer as a destination, like mm. you say, not too, not too long a distance to travel, mm -hmm. all these amazing natural uh, wonders there, mm -hmm. fantastic restaurants, mm -hmm. culture people. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reasons yeah. to come. Yeah, and right? we've got great musical festivals, literature festivals, uh, three Michelin-starred restaurants now, and other festivals. And, you know, I love traveling. It's the people, right? That's yeah, who you course. remember. Because I can see a, an Instagram video of some pretty waterfalls, and but I can't smell the waterfalls. Mm -hmm. I can't hear it. I can't feel the air against my face. And, and I can't remember the conversations that I had with people. So it's all, it's all of those sensory experiences that you can't um, replicate when you go. But, but I think it's also part of a more sustainable experience, right? When, I, when I'm going and I know that I, I'm listening to the music, I'm reading the literature, I'm, I'm uh, buying the design. And, and I know the values of our country are inclusive. So mm. I know when I go to a hotel and I stay there that the, the employees are treated fairly, that they can get their sick pay, that... As a guest, I'm not going to be turned away based on my gender or my sexual orientation. And I think that 
we consumers of travel are also looking more to to be discerning in that sense and support ethical mm. businesses. Yeah, so it's welcome to all. Yes, you know, absolutely. Really, that, that's the message, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Come, enjoy, mm-hmm. and, and spend time mm-hmm. and build those lovely relationships mm-hmm. with, with the Icelandic people. And come people back and, and tell your friends. Time and time again. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. didn't think I, I was I was working for the Iceland Tourist There you board. go, but now you got it. You got it. You can do the next interview instead of me. <laughs> fantastic. No, but I do. I think it's I think it's fantastic because so often we will focus on the same old, same old destinations, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And that's fine, you know, culturally the Brits have certain favourites and that's fine, but we also want to be able to travel widely Mm -hmm. and and have a rich experience Mm -hmm. and there's no greater joy, I don't mm-hmm. think, than to be able to provide that rich experience to people. For sure. And, you know, I think the great thing about Iceland for that is you said, not far away, no jet lag, everybody speaks English, very, very safe. You know, you don't need to feel like, oh, I'm going to get mischarged for this taxi or mm-hmm. I'm going to figure mm-hmm. out, figure all of this out. Um, if I'm really generalized, which I, you know, I think the Icelandic humor and the British humor are very similar. There's sort of dry, okay. <laughs> you know, dry, ironic humor that that a lot of countries are like, oh, oh that was a joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind Kind of similar as well so there's a lot you know we have a lot of connections a lot of Icelanders go and study in the UK and mm. so we really connect to the country a lot here fantastic so I want to change tack slightly because okay. you are a working mum mm-hmm. four kids mm-hmm. and say. a stepdaughter too and a stepdaughter okay so the numbers are adding up yes in your family <laughs> well my stepdaughter's 29 so I feel like she's pretty uh she's pretty independent really. <laughs> yeah well but we might be on to the next generation you know I know you never yeah. know True. you never know how these things go so, so you you're busy you've got a lot going on yeah. you're juggling a lot of things how do you manage what are some of the tips mm-hmm. that you've kind of put into your imprint mm-hmm. perhaps in your mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. to allow you to you know be a great mum mm-hmm. be a you know fantastic wife be a, a you know a great first lady yeah. representing the company yeah. and also with these this 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 responsibility yeah. that you have, you yeah. know, you are yeah. in the public light, you yeah. are, you do carry that, yeah. you know, with you wherever you go. So as a working mum, yeah. how, how do you do it? Yeah. Well, coffee first. <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy one word answer. Lots and lots of coffee. Lovely. But secondly, you know, it's interesting you said be a fantastic mom and a good wife and all this. And, you know, you can't be everything. You can't be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. We can't. We just can't be all of those things. And we can't, if you came into my house, you'd see that there is Lego on the floor and it's very messy and all these things. And my kids probably have far too much screen time than they need, you know, because we can't do all things all the time. And I think the worst thing is that when we beat ourselves up for not being the perfect everything, and I think women Mm. do that more than men do um, as a general assumption. And wow, imagine the energy and time that gets spent in the self-doubt or thinking, you know, why did I, I should go to the gym more often. I haven't been to the gym enough. And I, you know, it, all of that time and energy takes up so many things and we don't have time for that. Mm. So, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but I, you know, I read some meme once on the internet, probably when I was procrastinating, you know, of, you know, like, um, going to gym perfectly, perfect relationship, impeccable house, amazing cooking skills, great parent, you know, pick two or, you know, just to show you that you can't do all of those things perfectly. And there is no, these are the right two to pick. But to say, look, I want to be an excellent professional and a great mom and a great partner. And then the rest is down the tubes or whatever it is. Mm. And um, and I think that – and then you have to be comfortable with that choice. And you can change it if you want to. But don't be spending – don't waste time and energy thinking, I should get to the gym more and I should eat healthier. I should get to the gym more and eat – like, then either go to the gym more because clearly you want to or just forget it. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, but don't spend that that yeah. middle time doing it because then you know that we can't do all of those things. Yeah, you know, you're and, right. You're absolutely spot on. I mean, one of the things that I try to do, I'm not, yeah. I don't certainly don't get it perfect at all, but it's about being fully present in mm. the moment you're in because I think this this tension that you know, if you're in work, you're feeling guilty whether it's motherly guilt or daughterly guilt or whatever. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I should be doing more over here. Yeah. Well, you're there. Or, you know, you're with the family and you're kind of half looking at your phone for messages yeah. and things like that. And it's not easy, is it? Especially with social media and with technology, mm -hmm. we're always on. You know, it's very difficult yes. to be off. Yeah. Um, but I've tried to always think, well, try and be as much as possible fully present yeah. in whatever yeah. you're doing right at that moment. And yeah. then you might shift gears and you might say, okay... I haven't got time for the family right now and, yeah. and I'll, I'll, they'll take care of themselves or yeah. I'll put that in place because now I need to be focused on business yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that compartmentalization yeah. is not easy, but I think that's something yeah. that I've tried to do over the years. I think years. that's a great um, bit of advice. And I try, you know, I don't have email on my phone because I right. try to just think, if it's so urgent, someone will call me, mm. you know, or, or and, and if I'm finished with my work and I work, have a home office and I do, you know, then I close the door and that's yeah. done. Um, and I try to sort of turn it off that way. But, and I think a lot of it is too the, we learn from our mistakes, we learn from our experiences, but trying not to, you know, what's in the past is in the past. So yep. we can by all means learn from the many mistakes I'm sure all of us have made at different <laughs> points, but then we can't beat ourselves up over it because yeah. now it's done. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, my husband teasingly sometimes calls me Analyza because when I finish sometimes doing an event or a speech, I'll say, oh, when I answered that question, did, was I too long? Was it too, he's like, it's in the past. doesn't matter. Just stop thinking about it. He's very, he's very calm, which I learn. I have to be calmer learning that from him. And, um, and I think that's a, yeah, that's a great piece of advice is not to, to beat mm. yourself up. For the yeah. mistake, we all make mistakes, you know. Yeah. So, so with your kind of own personal well-being and mm -hmm. having a you know real positive mindset mm -hmm. as much as possible, we don't always get it right, do we? You know, no. we all have our wobbles. But mm. are there any sort of things that work for you to keep yourself in the best shape possible, physically, mm -hmm. mentally, mm -hmm. so that you can be the best for the people that you care about around you? I think that sleep is really important mm. um, in terms of mental well-being. You know. I sometimes think I should go to the gym more, gym more or less, and I'm not one of those people who says, oh, I just, I love to do yoga, and I'll, I'm just not very good at it. I do try to move around. Mm. Um, to me, sleep is really important. If I haven't had a good night's sleep, I really notice that. And I, sometimes, you know, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before assisting others. And if I'm feeling under the weather, I have a cold, if I'm able to, I just be like, okay, this can wait. I'm just going to have a good nap or rest or something if I can, because then I'm, better for later on mm -hmm. um and just to try to yeah just to try to um, not bite beat myself up too much that I can't you know do everything for people yeah. all the time but I love one of the facts that I, that I love is that I get to do so many things in my job you know I get to I get to uh I run a writer's retreat I've written a book I do public speaking I'm the first lady I have a so I get to I never get bored doing the same thing because every day is different and I really enjoy that I feel mm. very fortunate what are the things that you're most proud of then if you look back over this time and the best is yet to come for you I can still see they, you know, there's, oh, a lot of, there's a lot of energy and a lot uh, of, kind of <laughs> good stuff still to come but so far yeah. if you look back what 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 are the standout kind of things you're most proud of obviously yeah. I'm sure your kids but yes know, well professionally of... um professionally I would say um before serving as first lady, I would say it's founding the Iceland Writers Retreat, which is a writing workshop that I founded in, in Iceland. And just to see this organization come from nothing, my, my friend and I founded it together. And as you know, if you start something, it's not even like I took over something else, but it was nothing. 
and now it's something. And I love that. It's a wonderfully rewarding feeling. And um, I wrote a book, which I am excited about, and I'd never written a book before. Uh, and I've just, here's your exclusive for you, uh, written a fiction book that will come out soon. And, you know, fiction, you've got to write the whole darn book before you can sell it. And I would sit down and think, well, there's no point in doing this. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody wants to. And I thought, you know what, the only way I can guarantee no one's going to publish this if I never write it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's the 100 Maybe no one's going to publish it if I do write it, but they're definitely not going to publish it if I never write it. And that kind of kept me going. And I think just as First Lady, it's been trying to use my voice because... I mean, I never thought this would happen. I feel so fortunate and so privileged. And I'm obviously not going to serve in this role forever. Mm. So I really want to try to make the most of it while I can. Um, it, not to say I won't have a platform later, but just to, to kind of confound the expectations of what a female spouse of a male head of state does, just to know that women have voices that even though I don't control a budget, I wasn't elected to a position, I don't have a formal role, it doesn't mean I have nothing to say. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And let's come back to the book, because yeah. the book, I know you're going to be doing some pro, well, well, very excited about the second book. Yeah. So, so we'll dig into that <laughs> a bit more. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But the original yeah. book, the first yes. book you, you wrote. Yes. So Secrets of Spraka, yes. Iceland's Extraordinary Women and How They Are Changing the World. Big time. You can find bookstores now. I love yeah. it. Please find it on all good <laughs> bookstores, Amazon, where. Right. No. So, so Your local bookstore. Exactly. We'll support the local bookstores. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, yeah. so, so what was the motivation for, for the book? Obviously, it's aligned yeah. with what you're passionate around in terms yes. of gender. Yes. Uh, uh, but what was, what was the catalyst for writing the first well, book? I mean, the practical catalyst was at the beginning of the pandemic and things kind of shifted. And I just had an idea all of a sudden to write a book. And I, and I thought it was a good professional challenge. And the idea was based around this concept that Iceland is, quote unquote, the world's best country for women. But what does that actually mean in real life? What does it mean if I'm a mom, if I'm an entrepreneur or a politician or an athlete or a singer or whatever? And and so I thought I would, uh, it's, it's, it's a love letter to my adopted homeland, really. It's kind of, it's kind of an introduction to Iceland. And one of the things I've enjoyed about it is when people have read it and said, now I want to visit Iceland, or I bought it as my preparation to go and visit the country, um, sort of seen through the eyes of its women. Um, so it's kind of, it's a book on gender equality, but it's not a really angry, fighting, um, statistic-filled book. It's like sitting down having a cup of tea with me. Mm. And, and then you, get, you meet all these different women who are just regular women, um, but who I'm trying to highlight the extraordinary in the ordinary, if you know what I mean. And so there's stories are there. And then the, the sort of thread throughout it is my own experience as this woman from the countryside in Canada who ended up married to a head of state. So there's a, there's a couple of behind the scenes sort of, what a strange life this is. <laughs> Moments, you know, yeah. like when I, when I met the queen of Denmark and I had to Google how to curtsy because it turns out there's a lot of ways to curtsy. Really? Yeah, who would have known? Wow. <laughs> so we went but you don't want to bring shame to your country by doing the wrong curtsy. No, not at all. No. This is like, this is important stuff yeah, that so, you got So know, this podcast, yeah. now you've learned about how to get the right nail polish and how to curtsy. <laughs> Exactly. There's many <laughs> takeaways in this episode. This is what it's all about. It's all about. So, so fantastic. That was the first book. Second book then, yeah. which is a fiction. S fiction. Was that a um, very different process, writing the second book versus the first? Um, well, it's very different. I've never, you know, nonfiction, you, so many of the words are other people's words. Mm. And for me, at least crucially, you can sell the proposal. 
and mm. then you have a deadline and you're contractually obligated to finish the book. Totally yeah. different than fiction where yes. nobody cares if you write it but you. Um, so that was different. But I, w- I wanted that challenge. And it's a really kind of cozy, classic style, closed room mystery that I think so many of us like Agatha Christie style. I hope that we all like. Um, but set in Iceland uh, with a strong female protagonist um, who is the wife of the Canadian ambassador to Iceland. And there's an official visit and somebody dies. And da, 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 da. Excellent. So it's um, it's been really fun to try to write that because it's it's quite intimidating to write fiction because you can just... You can make everything up. Yeah. So I don't. You know, if if somebody gets boring, I'm like, I'm just going to kill them off. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> I find it much more difficult, but I'm I'm really really excited for people to see it. It'll be still yeah. another year and a bit before it comes out. Oh, fantastic! But, so we're looking probably towards the back end. Of early twenty, probably 25. early twenty twenty five. Yeah, okay. I'm sure, but keep an eye out. Just you know, follow my social media. Absolutely. We'll say, yeah. yeah. So this, so this is genuinely a, a, an exclusive early doors. Exclusive. There you go. Oh, there I'm you very, go. very honoured that you've shared mm-hmm. that. So thank you very much. That's amazing. So in terms of, you know, what's next for you, mm-hmm. what, what, are the, what are the kind of the big things that you've got on the horizon? Yeah. What do I want to be when I grow up? Well, maybe <laughs> when you grow up in the next stage yeah. of your life. I don't yeah. know. You know, what's next for me? Um, well, I hope to continue to use this platform as First Lady to talk about causes that I think are important. Mm. And that includes gender equality, obviously, sustainability, innovation, travel and tourism. And so, and there are, that's always different, you know, getting to travel to different places, talk about different things, take part in literary festivals. Um, I'm still promoting Secrets of the Spracker a lot. I do a lot of talks on Iceland, gender, empowerment. Um, so there's uh, there's quite a few things going on. Yeah. And I'm still running my writer's retreat. That's in April next year. So um Looking forward to that. Fantastic. So with the writer's retreat then, yeah. so I'm, I'm intrigued. So is yeah. this where, say, someone wants to write a book yeah. and they don't know where to start and they can come and spend time and kind of have so, get some tips and yeah. approach to writing? Is that, it is. is. That I mean, there's lots of, of different formats. Yeah. And what this is is really, I look at it like if you like to write, um, and that might mean that you are an author, that might mean that you do kind of technical or professional writing but want to get into something else that Mm. might mean that you just have a diary or you want to write the story of someone in your family it's like if you like cooking and you might go to thailand for a week and take a cooking class and you could be a michelin chef or not so here you go to reykjavik a unesco city of literature and you learn about writing from famous authors so we've had you know barbara kingsolver and susan orlean and and um paul murray shortlist for the booker neil muckerjee and they teach small writing classes. And then we have tours of Iceland's nature and countryside that's led by writers. And we have mm. a pub night and an open mic night. And so it's really people of all levels. You don't know, you don't have to audition to go. And it's not about kind of the business side of writing. It's about the, the joy of writing. Oh, wow. So there are no barriers at all, no. really. It is genuinely, as we were saying before, or everyone welcome. Yes, If you've got yes. an interest, then come yeah. along and, and be with five, like-minded people. Yeah, there's five writing workshops that everybody takes that are two hours, and we have 21 on offer. So you can choose, you know, if you're character development, editing. We had one on sex scenes last year. There's all kinds of different things. And we have actually a a simultaneous program for readers. So if you love reading, but you're not going to write, we have a reader's retreat that has more tours. You go see the Icelandic saga manuscripts. Um, 
And then we have a, an author who comes and just talks about their oeuvre and what they're doing and panels with local authors. So reading or writing, we have something for you. Yeah, no, it sounds fabulous. I'm thinking, oh, because everything yeah. you say, everyone's got a book in them, don't they? You yes, know, and, and, yes. And absolutely. Do you think that's true? Everyone yeah, has a book so in them? So we have this phrase in Icelandic, um, which means to walk with a book in your belly, which oh. everybody sort of has a story they're waiting to give birth to. And I think that that's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And and I think it's also, what I love about it is you kind of giving people a safe space, mm -hmm. especially someone that, you know, obviously you have very, you know, well-known authors, but mm -hmm. then you've got people that have maybe never written before and, and it's, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. very inclusive and that's And, you know, supportive. Iceland is a very egalitarian society and that's what we do. And people laugh too because I did this for a few years before I became first lady. Mm. And... We, I try to keep them very separate. So if you go on our website, it doesn't say anywhere that I'm the first lady or anything about anything about that role. But some people have maybe discovered that along the way. Sure. And then they come to the event and I'm handing them their welcome kit and their name bag, you know, and because it's my event and that's what you do, you know, who's ordered the coffee? It's me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so it's great to get to do kind of all, all parts of that. And, and just that everybody is, you know, treated on an equal basis, whether you're an award-winning writer or, you know, you just are going to keep a diary and mm. however you want to do it. So what I love about you, and this is the first time we've met, but you, you've, met. you've got great energy. Thank I you. really have great energy and um, keeping it humble and real. Okay. Because I would imagine in, in, in those kind of roles as mm -hmm. first lady, mm -hmm. it would be very easy mm -hmm. for certain people to mm -hmm. maybe get carried away mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the pomp, the circumstance, mm -hmm. the, you know, the role itself. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're saying, yeah, you know, you come to the retreat, I'm handing out yeah. the badge, you know, yes, yeah. I'm first lady. That's my other hat. Yeah. However, yeah. you know, I'm a real person. Yeah. I'm a working mum and I, you yeah. know, and, and so how do you keep so humble in the role that you have? Mm -hmm. Well, all the roles you have actually. Well, do you know, I think you just, it's just always easiest to be yourself, isn't it? It just, takes less energy. We talked about energy and time and what you have time for. I don't have time to make a persona for myself to be somebody else. Yep. I am kind of me and you can take it or leave it. Now, the interesting, I don't want to say challenge, but the interesting dynamic of serving in this role is it's also, this is an important office and you want to serve with dignity and, and respect for the office. You know, as a person, I'm quite casual, laid back. And and so it's interesting to find that line because mm. you do need to serve that with dignity and respect. So when I come to an event and it was unusual and I think I can open the car door for myself, I don't need to have someone do this or someone greet me, but it's not me that they're doing this for, it's it's the role yes. in the office. And and so finding that line is is kind of interesting, but uh, I, I only know how to be myself. Mm. And you know, maybe that comes with age too, this idea of thinking. I can be myself and not everyone likes everyone. Not everyone has to like me. I just have to be honest and, and authentic to who I am and that's how it is. Has that shifted for you then from when you were first in, in this, in, in the position you're in, you know, in those early days, can you see a mm -hmm. difference when you look back as to mm -hmm. how you are now versus versus how you were then? Pro less so maybe as first lady, I think just as people, right? As adults, <laughs> we we are less concerned, I think, with what everybody thinks of us. I mean, one more superficial dimension in this role, I think, at first was the clothes and the whole, you know, I'd had four kids in, in under six years and, and never went to the gym. And so I was like still wearing a lot of my maternity clothes because they're pretty comfortable and you're, you know, you're working from home. And then all of a sudden I get into an if, if you read the book, you'll see when I say all of a sudden, I really mean all of a sudden. I mean, it happened in six weeks or something. Mm -hmm. And 
you're having to go to, you know, literally dinners with kings and queens and wear gala dresses. And, and, and I'm not particularly strong with fashion. And, and, and I was really stressed about all this. And, and then you kind of learn, okay, I'm going to wear, you know, proper clothes. But if I, you know, if I rewear the same gala dress to another event, I think that's probably okay. And I think that that's probably what normal people should do. And, and so I, 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 try to stress less about some of these things mm. and you know I've worn a lot of secondhand clothes from charity shops for events I think that's an important message to get out there um and uh and and so I, I'm kind of you know it's just a a learning process really yeah keeping it real keeping mm. it real fantastic so you've had a very colorful journey so yes. far <laughs> there's lots Potato. of different <laughs> lots of different dynamic yeah. and aspects to you and before I come to my last few questions mm. You have a strong voice and you said you want to use your voice for good and mm -hmm. you clearly are doing that. Mm -hmm. And you come across extremely confident. Okay. Right? And you do lots of public speaking and etc. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people struggle yeah. with public speaking yes. or with actually using their voice yes. and have all these kind of, you know, the gremlin in your head telling you you're not good enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, how, how do I actually do that? A fate worse than death standing on stage for a mm -hmm. lot of people. Yes. Any tips as to how you've overcome that in, in your years of experience of speaking mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. using your voice for good? Well, tips in terms of public speaking, I always try to think, especially as an environment, you're almost always going out there and people want you to succeed. If I can think of all the occasions when I'm going out there to speak, there isn't somebody out there who thinks, I hope this goes really badly for her. I hope she, I hope she freezes. I hope nobody wants that. Everybody is there because you have something to offer. Um, you, you know, they have something they can learn from you and you can just be yourself. And I, I think if you've been honest before, I think, you know, women often I'm asked to go and do an event introduction to a conference or something and I think oh I'm not I'm not an expert on you know investment in the blue economy and and derivatives of something and I, and I think wait a minute I never told anybody I was and they still asked me to go and speak at this so that's okay you know for for what I'm doing and I and I think that so so that and of course practice always helps you know not beating yourself up when you make mistakes so knowing that peop, other people want you to succeed as well as I think uh, important and I feel very fortunate, you know, when I was growing up that uh, my mother, you know, we, we say, oh, when you raise girls, tell them they can do anything and they're really strong and confident in these words. My mother often said, like, you're capable, which isn't a very sexy word, you know, when you think of it. It's like not maybe that interesting a word, but the more I think about it, the more valuable that was because it just kind of makes, it's always in the back of my mind that if I go something and I'm timid, I think, I'll figure it out, I'm capable. You know, I don't have to be the best at this. I just have to be myself. And I think that that comes from feeling sort of comfortable in your own skin. I think it's, we can always be improving, but improvement is different than wanting to somehow fundamentally change ourselves. So if we're, if we're kind of comfortable with who we are as people, that shines through somehow. Yeah, brilliant advice. That's really good advice. I like that. I'm capable. Okay, kind of takes so thanks to my mom. To Shout it. out to my mom. Well done. Well done, mom. Yeah. <laughs> she, she'll listen to all the interviews what's your mom, too. What's so. your mom's name? Allison. Allison Reed. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom over there. Allison Reed. Well done. You've raised a good one. Here. There you go. <laughs> Great. She's, yeah. It's funny because she, you know, as kids, we tend, you think, I'm not going to send my mom every interview that's so embarrassing and silly, but she loves it. So Aww. send it to her. Allison. Absolutely. We yeah. love you, Allison. You've Here done you go. good in the world bringing you, bringing you into the world. <laughs> to start off with so you'll have had loads of advice over the years yeah um, I'm sure any standout advice that's kind of stood you in good stead well that you know be capable yes. I think and um 
I, I would say that, you know, be capable is the best sort of advice and yeah. just be honest, be, be honest and be yourself because then you don't have to try to remember all these other fake narratives. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Fantastic. So this year, a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, if you can think of a word to describe yeah. this year, <laughs> what would it be and why? The, the first word was busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll, can I, and of course, I'll, I'll just say three, busy, fun, and diverse, because I've, I've traveled to lots of different countries, you know, had uh, lots of different exciting moments, and I, I just feel so grateful for them. Fantastic. Well, you see three powerful words. Okay. I see what you yeah. did there. Yeah. Um, Work so, in threes. That's what writers do. Oh, there you see. There yeah. you see. Um, so brave, bold, brilliant. Yes. What does that mean to you, Eliza? Yeah. You, 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 I knew that you were going to ask me this question. This is confessed <laughs> behind the scenes of podcasts, but I didn't want to think of an answer until after I'd done the podcast because I, you know, I, I love the alliteration of it. Um, brave, bold, brilliant. I mean, I just think those are positive and strong words. And I think that we should uh, be brave enough to use our voices and bold enough to be ourselves. And that will make us brilliant. I made that up on the spot, people. Nice. <laughs> we'll this, is, this is the author creative genius of Eliza Reed. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy chatting with you. My really pleasure. Thank, Thank you. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.